2: Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast The podcast that is 48% politics, 48% comedy and 4% subliminal messages from the Illuminati Don't worry, they're only really fun helpful ones like Don't forget to eat five a day, or Don't forget to floss, or Don't forget to obey or die This is episode 99, I'm Tien and Duyeb And Home Secretary and emoji for I'm constantly disappointed in you, Amber Rudd, has resigned Yes, finally a removal target we all approved of Yes, Rudd is out and everyone's least favourite potato, Sajid Javid, is in as Home Secretary, meaning that the government has gone from someone who just pretended to be unaware of their own policies to someone who'll probably just flee to Australia next time he has to answer an awkward question. Rudd's letter to the Prime Minister said she was resigning as she had inadvertently misled MPs after telling them she wasn't aware of Home Office immigration removal targets, despite The Guardian finding a letter to the Prime Minister from Rudd where she set out those immigration removal targets herself. We've all been there, right I mean you know you've forgotten where you put your keys and so you had people forcibly deported right or you know you walked into a room couldn't remember why you were there and had to walk back out again and so several people got sent to a country they've never been before against their will I mean it's just old age guys it's kind of what happens Maybe we should be really worried about Rudd's memory loss. I mean, it seems like there's every chance she'll still turn up to work at the Home Office this week after being unaware of her own resignation letter and promising to look into it. Either that or her resignation letter will get lost and then she'll try to blame it on the previous Labour government. It is very nice to know, though, that racism from the government is absolutely not tolerated by the British public. Unless, of course, it's Islamophobia or, you know, it helps with a pointless Brexit plan. Of course, Amber Rudd was only Home Secretary from 2016 to 2018, but the hostile environment policy, something that sounds a lot like my house after we've had baked beans, was started in 2010. And who was the Home Secretary then? Oh, that's right, our very own Prime Minister and catalogue model for Dino-Rod, Theresa May. So, after standing in for May at last year's television debates, Rudd is now stepping in to resign for her as well. And I bet Amber is feeling pretty glad no-one's ever tried to make an assassination attempt on our Prime Minister. Amber can now head to the back where she'll be able to spend more time creating necessary hashtags and hunting internet giants in her spare time. Javid is a very smart move for Home Secretary as the Windrush scandal continues. He stated in the Telegraph this weekend that he was worried it could have been him and his family, originally from Pakistan, that were threatened with deportation. Oh, how nice. A Home Secretary that empathises with the victims of these shitty policies. Except his voting record shows that actually he's always backed hostile environment policies. But hey, I guess how many of us would deport our parents if we had the chance? Am I right? With Fallon, Green, Patel and now Rudd all resigning in the last six months, more people have left May's cabinet than a Narnia exit route. It's been a tough week for May though, as not only has she lost her human shield, leaving her with just the deflector shield she's programmed with, but also her favoured customs deal plan with the EU has been described as basically dead, which is a description that could be used for the Prime Minister as well. The plan was to collect import tariffs on behalf of the EU while setting our own duties for goods coming to the UK, like some sort of highly unnecessary middleman, which again is a description that could be used for our Prime Minister. Still, well done to May for uniting absolutely everyone by providing a plan so shit all sides hate it. Speaking of uniting divisions, I'd like to say a huge congrats to physical manifestation of heartburn, Donald Trump, who has successfully ended the Korean War. I mean, it's obvious that leaders of both North and South Korea realise that it'd be much less painful to have a chat with each other and end a 65 year dispute than have to deal with the fucking idiot that is the US president again. Yes, in a dramatic career change, North Korea's own Emo Totoro and leader Kim Jong-un and South Korean leader and Martin Sheena-like Moon Jae-ing met together for the first time in a number of scenes that looked a lot like a proud dad taking his gigantic baby son for a day trip. Both leaders agreed to rid the peninsula of nuclear weapons and Kim Jong-un said that they bade farewell to the frozen relationship, though it's not clear which one of the two he thinks is Elsa. Meanwhile, in the US, Trump hosted French President Emmanuel doesn't he look all grown up in his suit, Macron, at the White House. Trump said their relationship was special before brushing dandruff off Macron's shoulder and calling him perfect. No, Donald, you meant prefect. But the two seemed very close. You know, in the way that Trump might have to get his lawyer to pay off Emmanuel at some point. Macron trails only slightly behind Kanye in sucking up to Trump this week, with the rapper tweeting that he and the president are both dragon energy, which I take to mean that they often leave everything on fire without much thought. Kanye said Trump is his brother, the sort of comment that will upset most of the Trump-supporting white supremacists. But I can see what he means. I mean, both Trump and Kanye are doing sterling work to increase global hatred towards the West. Trump has confirmed his visit to London for Friday, July the 13th of this year. And if Amber Rudd had been smart, she'd have said that actually their immigration targets were just to get as many non-white people to somewhere safe before the US president arrived. In other UK news, Labour leader and Charlie's grandpa Joe, Jeremy Corbyn, met with the heads of the Jewish Leadership Council and Board of Deputies to discuss tackling anti-Semitism. The Jewish leaders described the meeting as a disappointing missed opportunity, while Corbyn said it had been positive and constructive. And with those sorts of negotiating and listening skills, Theresa May should be terrified that he'll be leader and handling EU talks any day now. Before the meeting, Corbyn issued a very strong condemnation of anti-Semitism, although judging by what followed, that could just mean that he put a reminder in his eye calendar to do something about it, but then forgot to set an alarm. Conservative MP Dominic Raab, a man who looks like he's about to ask you if you can sell him some coke, is involved in a scandal after a story was leaked that one of his staff was selling sex to sugar daddies on a website. More concerning than this, though, is that the member of staff in question revealed that Raab has had exactly the same lunch from Pret every single day. A chicken Caesar and bacon baguette, a super fruit pot and a vitamin volcano smoothie. Hey, I guess if you are what you eat, it explains why most things he has to say are dreary takeaways. And lastly, Sainsbury's supermarket is merging with Asda, something that Labour say they're concerned about due to the possible impact on suppliers. Personally, I'm just hoping they go for the portmanteau, Sada or Asbury's. Yeah, it's the podcast again. Thank you for being here once again. Um, I mean, you're not here, you're there. I mean, if you were here, I wouldn't need to record this as I could just sort of shout it at you, you know, after wondering why you are in my home and calling the police. Um, and welcome to all you new listeners. Uh, as you can hear, this isn't my normal voice. Uh, I've got a weird combination of hay fever and a cold uh, and uh, lots of coughing, which makes me quite prime ministerial, I guess. Um, there's been a big jump up in new subscribers, so it is lovely to have you new listeners here. Um, um, again, not actually here, or well, I'd probably be calling the police. But also, you'd probably be wedged between a nappy bin and a baby playmat that for some reason plays lullaby versions of world music because I'm bringing up my daughter to have ambitions of running one of those shops that sells only culturally misappropriated stuff like dream catchers and elephant wood carvings. Um, sorry, what I mean is hello, new people. And if you are new, please do check out previous episodes, mainly for the interviews. Uh, the last two weeks have been on immigration detention centers in the UK, something that is hugely relevant with recent news and important to know about about and the representation of working class people in the arts which was fascinating as well so do check those out too um and just a heads up that this week's show is well a tad on the weak side as uh, firstly you can hear my voice um is not great for podcasting right now um also i've completely planned my week badly and complications of endlessly crying child and um last few support gigs have mean that i've had little to no time on the show this week um i have got serious time management issues how do you manage time when people go, oh, you need better time management. I don't have mystical Doctor Strange like powers. Time just keeps going forward. I don't know how to fix that. And um, anyway, I'm hugely sorry, but maybe just use the spare time that you have left over thinking about how we all go persuading all the museums in the UK to have some sort of Escher exhibition on at the same time. So when stairphobic Trump visits in July, he'll have some sort of panic attack. Anyway, I promise this will be back to normal length next week with some uh, slightly more investigative bits in it that I plan on doing. Of course, uh, one thing you can do to help me spend more time on these shows is donate. Uh, like Philip the Champion. I've added the last bit. It's not his surname. That'd be weird. The Champion. Anyway, thank you, Philip um, the Philip. Uh, he has donated to the Patreon this week, which you too can do at patreon.com forward slash parpol bro if you want to give me a monthly amount towards making the show of even just $1. Uh, or for a one-off donation, why not buy me a virtual coffee, which won't keep me awake, uh, but it also won't make me need to shit unexpectedly either, so win-win. Um, you can do that at Kofi. That's ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro. And if you can't donate, don't worry, this podcast shall remain free for all to hear. But help all know about it. That would be good. um Please do give it a review on iTunes or Stitcher or just tell lots of people about it, which you can do when you're all around my house next week as I shout the podcast at you word for word. No admin this week. There is not time, god damn it. I've not even left time for admin. But if you're the sort of person who likes knowing what I'm up to and perhaps when I'm doing gigs so you can sneak into my home while I'm away, then please do sign up to my own mailing list at tnndoeb.co.uk forward slash contact as I'll be sending out my main newsletter at some point over the next few days. Um, Basically, it's like an even more selfish version of this show, but in word form, so you have to add your own jingles. Sounds fun? No, not really. Please do sign up. Oh, and lastly, uh, next week is episode 100. Holy shit, right? How has that happened? How have we got so far? I have, I have no idea. What, I've, I've ruined every Monday for like two years. Um, anyway, my plan uh, next week is to have an interview with a certain pal before then, which might be a bit more fun, but due to various work commitments, that also might not be happening now. So there might not be a special guest, but there might be who really knows. However, I've got a few ideas of how to make it a special one. But if there's anything in particular you'd like to see... Uh, well, you can't. It's an audio podcast. But if there's anything in particular you'd like to hear... Um, then do drop me a line at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com, whether that's sort of a... Or you can drop me a line on the Twitter or the Facebook. And whether it's kind of content or a bit you like me to repeat, or I I don't know, anything, all ideas are welcomed. Except for shit ones. Don't send me shit ones. Um, Okay, so on this week's show, as I said, it's a real short one. Ahead of the local elections this week, I interviewed Rose at the Democracy Club, a site that has loads of clever ways for you to find out who to vote for, or if you have no clue of where you live, then where to vote for as well. Uh, And if you're all at mine, it's right round the corner, so I can just walk you round. Don't worry. Um, And then I've got a little bit on what to look out for at the local elections. And there is, of course, a small Brexit fallout. A Brexit fillet, if you like. But this week, as headlines are yet again absent till next week, let's kick off with some of this. Local elections for local people, that's what I say. This Thursday, you, them public types, will head to the polling stations once again as 32 London boroughs, 34 metropolitan boroughs, 67 district and borough councils and 17 unitary authorities will all be electing their officials for the next four years. And no, I've no real idea what a unitary authority is, but I'm telling myself it's 17 areas run by a unicorn called Terry because that is what the world needs right now. I'm assuming... Terry's a nice guy. He might not be. I mean, if you've got a horn on your head, you probably stab stuff. Maybe he's responsible for knife crime. Anyway, there is also a parliamentary by-election in West Tyrone in Northern Ireland that day, because they were like hey, all or nothing guys, all or nothing. But do you know what these local elections are for? Or who to vote for? Or what ward you're in? Clue, if you've broken your leg, you're in a hospital ward. Lots of people assume that local elections are just to make sure who's in charge of the bins. Or your local park and the bins in that park. Or why your high street Christmas lights are rubbish. But speaking of rubbish, what about the bins? But these elections dictate the people who do the majority of local decision-making on things from development, education, social services, roads, street lighting and, yes, most importantly, bins. But also, these elections can serve as an indicator for how the general elections may pan out too, as well as serve as a protest or a sign of what the public are concerned about most. Clue, it's bins. It's pretty much always bins. But do you know anything about the candidates you have in your area? All of the candidates in my area have two names, apart from two Conservative candidates who have three names. So greedy. I mean, why not just put vote for us and we'll take all your names? Unbelievable. If you haven't got a clue about how many names your local candidates have, then why not take a minute to do some research and maybe also find out their views and policies too, especially on, you know, say, what might happen to your bins. One way of doing this is via the Democracy Club, a non-partisan website that helps you find out who to vote for, where to vote, and basically making sure all of you can just get your bins exactly how you like them. Yay! bins. This week I spoke to Rose Whiffen at the Democracy Club who told me all about why they do what they do, how they do do it and why you should be doing it as well. Here is Rose. Can you tell me what the Democracy Club is and why it was set up?
0: Hello yeah thanks for having me. Um, So the Democracy Club is a political tech company Um, with the aim to increase information surrounding elections um, which is quite a a big goal I guess Um, but it does this with uh, two particular tools so uh, one of the tools is um, who can I vote for um, which is a candidate finder so you can type in your postcode and you get the candidates that are standing in your area And then the second tool is uh, where do I vote? So that's like a polling station finder. So you type in your postcode and then you get the nearest polling station to you. So hopefully those tools, um, they're kind of a way of, you know, digitalising democracy, bringing it up to date um, and hopefully making people more informed and more engaged in democracy, really.
2: Sure. And why what was the reason for setting up the Democracy Club? And do you, did you feel that that sort of information wasn't being given to people in the first place?
0: Yeah, I think... Um, so, Democracy Club kind of got into full swing in um, 2015. And around that time, um, we were kind of looking at the information that was going out around that election. So, um, you know, people were tweeting around that time Things like, oh, I can't find my candidate's manifesto. Oh, come on, this is basic stuff. They were tweeting, like, where is my polling station? Um, and then you'd get, you know, replies from, you know, various sites being like, well, you know, you can call up um, Your Vote Matters and you'll find out. But, you know, not past 6 p.m., you know, this information wasn't online and there was definitely a, a demand for it Um And, yeah, it's very much set up from that user demand. And I think um, another really interesting um, insight is we had, we used um, um, Google News Labs when you can find out the top searches on a particular day. So on 2015, on polling day, um, you know, the second most searched for search was who are my local candidates? And then, you know, yeah, fourth and fifth were where do I vote? And... Where is my polling station? Um, so it's definitely demanded from the public, and you know we we should be innovating our democracy. You know we should be pushing forward. I think as well.
2: God, I'm really shocked by that. So there were a, quite a lot of people in the 2015 election day that just didn't have a clue how, who, who they were going to be voting for.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, candidate information. Um, I think you know with the local elections, this is. Kind of even more of a problem because a lot of the candidates are like paper candidates so you know they just put their name down um so that a certain party can say oh well we've got all the candidates standing in that election but they don't really have any true intent in campaigning um so yeah a lot of the time it can be really in the dark about who your candidates are um yeah i think quite uh Another interesting kind of uh, anecdote is 2017, um, the elections um, on, the particular, on that particular day, same kind of searches, um, like where do I vote, where is my polling station, so still really demanded. Um, and also, obviously, 2017 was uh, June, so, you know, one of in the top 10 searches was also um you know when it's father's day you know on the, the, the top types of uh democratic questions in our age but yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow that's amazing i was kind of curious how you use your how you use specifically data and apps to kind of reach voters and you know have you got any idea of how how successful democracy club has been in doing this in the past
0: um yeah um so how we use data and apps um so, well, I find this quite interesting. I, I don't know if, if everyone else will. But um, so with Where Can I Vote, which is our polling station finder, um, the data that we use for that comes directly from councils. So we have to get permission from each council to get that polling station data. And the Who Can I Vote for, which is your candidate finder, um, that is... Is at, all that information sits on a candidate database, which is entirely crowdsourced by volunteers. So we have, I think, about 16,222 candidates um, for this local election. And each of those candidates was copy and pasted from a PDF into our database. Um, so that's how we get that data. Um, and yeah, we rely on volunteers for that. Um, so feel free, anyone, to get involved in volunteering. Um, so it's quite an arduous job, but it does have um, its results. Because uh, yeah, last year um, there was about one point eight million uses of a polling station finder, and about ten million candidate lookups, like uses of the candidate lookup. So. That was really great, um, like quite good coverage there. Um, and we also last year partnered with um, Google and Facebook and The Guardian to feature some of our Who Can I Vote For features. Um, and also the, the Electoral Commission um, use our both of our, our apps. Um, and it's kind of like a, a nice story in the fact that in 2016, we had about 16 councils agree to give us the polling station data. And then this time round, we've got about 80% coverage. So it's like, yeah, a big kind of um, increase. And it's quite a kind of rewarding feeling to feel that councils are kind of waking up to the fact that, hey, this actually works. This is really useful to us um, and our electorate. So that's a nice feeling as well, yeah.
2: (laughs) I mean, do you feel like, because it's great that you guys have set this up, but shouldn't some of the responsibility for this be on the parties as well? Shouldn't they be making their information more accessible so that we know who they are? And, you know, it it surely affects them if people haven't got a clue who their candidates are and what they're standing for.
0: Yeah, um, that is definitely a good point. Um, And I think what's quite interesting around parties is that kind of in the offline world i guess you'd call it um parties are i mean they're not bad at that i mean they post you know campaign leaflets through our door um you know sometimes you actually get a knock at the door from the councillor themselves um or maybe even the mp if you're lucky um so offline i think that the the parties do an okay job um but if, it, if they're not picking up that slack, you know, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have it. Um, and that's kind of where we come in. Um, but I also think that if you rely just on the parties, you're gonna have quite a lot of like inconsistencies. Um, whereas, you know, we try and have, you know, Democracy Club is like one central place where everyone can go and it's not dependent on how digitally competent your party is in your particular area. So, yeah, perhaps like two points there, maybe.
2: Sure. Yeah, I guess that's true, isn't it? Because if, uh, whereas you can kind of collate stuff in a very non partisan way and people can look across the board, if they're having to individually seek out each party and certain parties aren't as good at it as others, that's going to create discrepancies. And do you, I mean, that, that, but that does sort of pose the question that are. Uh, our political party is kind of behind in terms of being digitally available and being uh, accessible. Um, and, and, you know, and do you feel that voting in general is perhaps not accessible in, uh, as accessible as it should be?
0: Um, yeah, it's, it's I think online it's definitely not as accessible as it should be. Um, and, yeah, aside from the lack of information surrounding candidates, um so, yeah, our other tool, the polling station finder, um, you get one chance to find out who where your polling station is, right? You get a poll card through your door. Um, if you are, you know, a renter, maybe you live with a lot of other people, there's a high chance that you could lose that poll card. And there's just so many other examples where, you know, you just don't end up getting a poll card. So in terms of that situation... You know, there's also not a lot of information and it's not as accessible, as you said, as as it should be. And that's why, you know, we have this like online move, I would say. And, you know, we should be able to find out information surrounding candidates, surrounding elections online. We live in an age where, you know, we expect to be able to Google anything and we can Google anything and, and pretty much find the information that we're looking for. You know, a, a simple example, like you can type in an actor's name and, uh, you know, you've got the IMDB, you got the movie database that will tell you every movie they've been in. You know, why don't we have the same kind of apparatus surrounding elections? We should be able to type in our candidate name or um, the council that we're in and find out information on the candidate standing in our ward.
2: And we'll be back with Rose in a minute, but first. Local elections 2018. Here is your exciting guide to Local elections 2018. Are you ready? Will you be staying up all night just to find out if Chessington North and Hook actually elects monster-raving loony party candidate Chinner's Chinnery, a man who's installed a practice voting booth at his local pub, claiming that the only wasted vote is one that isn't used? Amazing. Well, here are a few things to look out for on Thursday and Friday, or if you're listening to this episode after then, things for you to go, oh, that didn't happen. Tiernan, you're really shit at this. Voter ID. This is something I talked to Rose about in the second part of the interview, but I thought you should get a quick rundown in case you live in one of these areas or you're worried about the future of voting or you're a nameless individual who travels the country barefoot in search of justice and likely doesn't have a provisional driver's licence as a result. Five areas of the UK are trialling the need for ID for voters to prove who they are before voting because, goddammit, too many just want to fraud their local election votes. Everybody be like, I want to give my councillor two votes because of the way they get my bins collected on a Wednesday. Actually, voter fraud in the UK is super minimum. In the 2015 general election, there were only 26 allegations of voter fraud in person voting and 11 in proxy voting out of 51.4 million votes. What percentage is that? Who the fuck knows? It's like tiny percentage. It's like minimums percentage. In 2017, only one person was convicted of double voting and got a fine because he obviously loved voting just too goddamn much. I mean, why set up voter ID rather than, you know, have a separate booth with some bonus fake voters? Voting slips for those that just love putting little crosses in boxes like a funeral director for hamsters. I'm sure Chinner's Chinnery can set one up for you if you like. In fact, these new voter ID requirements have been called a solution in search of a problem, like the world's most boring version of Jeopardy ever. The Equality and Human Rights Commission has said that rather than stopping voter fraud, these new ID checks just disenfranchise people who will struggle to have the right ID, such as those recently victimised by the Windrush scandal, um, hidden homeless people or older people. Now, some of you younger listeners that were disillusioned by the Brexit vote might be thinking, what put enough older voters? I am in. Can we make it so they only accept Snapchat ID? But actually making voting harder for people is never a good thing and it seems that around 19,000 voters are going to lose out just in the five boroughs that this is being trialled in. Which, considering in the last general election, former Home Secretary Amber Rudd won by only 346 votes, that number could make a difference. Not that she'd have been aware of that. The five boroughs it is being trialled in have not experienced any voter fraud in the last decade, apart from one which was dealt with by a police caution. Can you imagine, like, breaking that caution and going to prison for that? Yo, I killed 12 people, what about you? Yeah, I robbed three banks with a shotgun. You? Uh, I voted for Chinner's Chinnery twice by voting then walking out, putting on a fake moustache on and doing it again. Now, May has already received stick for this, and how it works on Thursday will probably depend on if it's rolled out or not. But if you do live in one of those boroughs, here is what you need to make sure you can vote. If you're in Swindon and Woking, bring a photo ID. Apparently, a bus pass counts. Uh, I'm not sure if you can use an Instagram selfie where you've changed your ears to look like cat ears, so don't try that. In Watford, you can use photo ID or a valid debit or credit card, so maybe you can ask if you can buy a tiny pencil as a souvenir afterwards. Bromley, they need two forms of ID because you don't look trustworthy at all, Bromley. So take those two forms and one needs to have your address on and then maybe wear a nice shirt so you can leave a good impression as well. Lastly, in Gosport, you need two forms of ID, one with your address on, but you can also apply for an electoral identity letter, which you can get from the Gosport Borough Council website, although it's probably a bit late now, I should have told you this weeks ago. I don't really get how a letter would help unless you can prove that you're the person that it was sent to with proof that you live at the address where they sent it to, but hey, reason number 7,563 why this is a bad idea. And if you do live in those areas and you have problems voting, just let me know. I'll give them a call and uh, I can say that I'll vouch for you. And I'll also be happy to help with any multiple choice answers as long as you give me a cut of the prize money. Cool? Good luck. London, 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 London. Uh, Not bloody London again. I know, I know. The capital has all the fun stuff. Look at us with our hogging all the knife crime and sex pest president visits. Well, whether you're a big smoke dweller or not, it's worth seeing what happens with London on Thursday, as recent polls suggest the Tories could lose even more seats, making London a red blob surrounded by blue like somebody stabbed a Smurf. Which in London is possible, what with all the knife crime we're hogging. Labour already has control of 20 London boroughs, and Conservatives only eight, but Barnet looks like it might now switch to Labour, especially after a Conservative councillor stepped down after he was deselected by the Tories to run again. Weirdly, in 2014, a Labour councillor defected and went to the Conservatives after saying Labour was no longer the party for equality and justice. Cool, though so if that's your standpoint, then going to the Conservatives is a bit like saying that veganism isn't caring enough to animals, before insisting on only eating hog roasts. But anyway, Barnet over a little bit, swapsy swapsy vice all over. Barnet residents have lots of issues with the councils uh, after they privatised a number of public services over the last few years, so it could be Labour's for the taking. Also Kensington and Chelsea, especially after the Grenfell tragedy, Hillingdon, which is a Boris borough, and Wandsworth and Westminster. And of course, all may stay overall Conservative control, but how much they change will all be an expression of how voters feel about unaffordable housing, Brexit and the Windrush scandal, amongst other issues, like bins. Bins. Plus, EU nationals can vote in local elections, and there are 1.1 million living in London. Though Labour's Brexit plans are still more vague than a misspelt Madonna song, if any were Conservative voters and now aren't, it will have an effect. And what will it mean if the Conservatives do suffer huge losses? Well, it'll be a symbolic effect more than anything, likely to once again prove that May is very much the Hawkeye of Prime Ministers. And by that, I mean if she wasn't around, she wouldn't remotely be missed. And then maybe if they suffered really bad losses, there might be some sort of conservative leadership challenge again, you know, with all these strong contenders to conservative leadership, like, um, no, wait, hang on. How about, uh, no, forget it. But with the anti-Semitism accusations of the past weeks, it might also not be as good for Labour as predicted, which would mean that once again the Parliamentary Labour Party would be able to put forward a case for Jeremy Corbyn not being a good leader, and that that would mean that they could have a leadership challenge again with all those strong contenders for the Labour leadership, like ah, uh, no wait, how about um... uh... sorry everyone, as you were. And what There are no elections in Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland, um, apart from the by-election in West Tyrone, who I believe is Kanye's cousin. But across England, there are loads of seats to watch, including Amber Valley in Derbyshire, Trafford, Swindon and Tamworth, which are all very narrowly held by the Conservatives at the moment. Could the Tories lose two Ambers in one week? Whoa. Then Labour is targeting Stockport, Newcastle, Under lyme Dudley, Walsall and North East Lincolnshire, which are all no overall control at the moment and so could end up being majority Labour. UKIP are putting forward 75% fewer candidates than they did four years ago. Ha, ha 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 Nice work taking back control, lads. You can barely hold on to a chair. Ha 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 ha. Anyway, they'll be going from 2,193 candidates to just 550. That is going to have a massive effect. I mean, it's unlikely that former UKIP voters will now be going to anti-Brexit li- Lib Dems or with all their climate change denying that they'll be that bothered by the Greens. So the swings will likely go to the Conservatives or Labour but which sort of racism will they prefer I mean are they swayed by the anti-semitism or the prejudice towards all Commonwealth residents oh so hard to choose I mean for bigots in 2018 the struggle is real fam so those are some things to pay attention to and as Jeremy Vine dances over what looks like a drunk version of Tetris Thursday's vote will not only determine the future of politics the future of local politics and the future of voter ID but also the future of your bins so whether you want more trash talk or to recycle who you already have don't waste your vote. <clears throat> and now, back to Rose. So do you think, would online voting overall be a better idea than kind of, you know, polling stations is a very kind of, feels like a very old school kind of way of doing it still?
0: Um, well, online voting, hmm. I think that, yeah, it, it does. Obviously, the benefits are that, is more accessibility in terms of mobility and also you know if you have a full-time job and you can't get to the polling station i do see that as a, a, a strong argument for it but it's definitely a trade-off i think um between accessibility and then perhaps the integrity of the vote um so you know one of The biggest reasons why people say we shouldn't have online voting is because it's so easily hacked, basically. It can, you know, how how do you know that a system, when you vote for candidate A, is not going to be able to be changed to candidate B? So I think it's definitely a a trade-off between accessibility and, um, yeah, the integrity of of the vote. And a lot of people say, uh, like, security experts... In the field, maybe they would say something like, Oh, it's not about how, uh, it's not about, you know, if um, a, a vote can be hacked, it's how difficult is it to be hacked. So it's kind of like that level of security surrounding online voting, which I find quite interesting.
2: Sure. So it's, it, so potentially, I suppose any kind of vote could be hacked, but it's, uh it would be how it was set up and i mean because I'd, I'd have thought that an online vote would mean that people who are working all day and have trouble getting to polling station things like that that would allow them to to vote easier probably and also they could have the the information at their fingertips as they as they vote as well which would be quite handy
0: yeah and um i definitely get your point about like the fact you have to go to a station is feels like quite an archaic way of doing it in a way um i mean yeah the fact that You've got a bit of slate against a bit of dead wood is the way that we're doing this, but um I think overall um, you know there's just we have to make sure that those uh, online voting procedures are proofed um, for the future um, and I don't perhaps we're not there yet
2: and, and what what do you think of uh, because it was it's sort of been in the the news of the last couple of weeks the possibility of identity checks at polling stations which would then sort of make again voting harder for certain groups of people do you think that's a needed idea do you think that's necessary
0: um i think yeah it's definitely um has the possibility of um yeah disenfranchising, dis- disenfranchising um vulnerable people that there, there is that possibility there um you know people who Campaigns at the moment are so trying to mobilise to vote. You know, like young, old, disabled, BME, homeless, trans people—all those um, from those backgrounds—you know—could be disenfranchised through this scheme. Um, I mean, the the reason for the um, the pilot is because we're trying to um, reduce electoral fraud, which you know is is a, a noble cause. We don't want electoral fraud, but. Um, I think we really need to be careful about how we assess the pilot. So, the government's going to have a evaluation report in summer from the Electoral Commission and that's going to evaluate, you know, did it affect turnout. But I think we've got to be really careful there because around these um, pilots, there's been really big advertising campaigns in the five different councils, so Bromley, Gosport, Watford, Working and Swindon, they've all had these big advertising campaigns, you know, um, bring your poll card um, or, well, each each, just to add um, more madness or further layers. Um, Each council has like very different ID requirements um, and that's probably why they've had these big advertising campaigns. Um and you know, is it the fact that you've had those advertising campaigns actually gonna boost turnout maybe? Um, so I think it's gonna be quite difficult to assess the impact. I mean'm I'm, I'm all for kind of improving democracy and trying things, but I think it's definitely something to watch watch in summer when that report comes out and, and see um, how much it, it does. Take into consideration, um, like the different factors.
2: Yeah, I didn't realise that every council had different requirements as well. Because surely that, in a nationwide kind of scheme, it would have to be the same ID requirements, or it would go it, yeah, it cause a complete mess overall.
0: Yeah, because you don't want to have you know overlapping misinformation. And I actually did because um, it's yeah five different councils, so I've got a, a blog on the different requirements on our Democracy Club website. Um, So I did quite a lot of research into looking at these five different... And some of them are simple, you know, you bring your poll card or you bring your passport. I mean, it's quite simple, but some of them are... You can apply for a separate elector card, which is something completely new. And then my personal favourite is you can bring someone with you to the polling station, and as long as they have ID, they can attest for you,
2: (laughs) which seems a bit
0: bizarre, but, yeah...
2: That's a, that's amazing that you can bring someone along and as long as they've got they could because I'd find that just as untrustworthy, you know, from a cynical point of view. What if you've just brought someone along who happens to have ID and will is happy to lie for you? That doesn't seem to be uh, a very sensible plan at all. That's incredible. Um, so uh, sort of looking at the the local elections we've got coming up every um, hopefully all the listeners are registered to vote of this podcast um do you think people take uh yeah do you think people take local elections as seriously as they do general elections you know why do you think it's as important for people to vote in these local ones uh, as for the major ones
0: um yeah i think that you know if if you're really crude about it you know turnout has, has never been as strong um in local elections um but i think they're really important yeah i mean obviously i'm, I'm biased uh, <laughs> that's what i'm working on right now but um i mean they they really your local council um aside from the fact that you have you know a council tax which goes directly to them and they have control over um they you know they control the things that matter to your everyday life you know your local council housing your education services your environmental health, your parks, the things that you use every day, you know, your swimming pools and your libraries, um, you know, the, the list goes on and on. And one that's always cited is the bins, but, you know, it's, it's a lot more than that. Um, I think what's quite kind of unique about council elections are these people do live in your local ward and a ward is quite a small area. Um, and, They're likely, you know, they could be a mum at your school or a dad at your school and, you know, people that you, you know, have could have quite a lot of contact with if you wanted to. Um, And in terms of like, you know, why should you vote at this particular council election? I think a lot of the um, boroughs and a lot of the wards that are up, you have um, all three councillors. So different wards have... Sometimes they only have one councillor. Sometimes they have three councillors. Um, but in wards that have three councillors, you can um, vote. For, so you have three votes, um, and that means that it's, you can express your preferences in a in a lot more nuanced way. You know, say you're, um, you know, a two thirds Green Party supporter and one third of you supports Labour. You could literally express that in your vote. Um so I think that's quite a, a unique opportunity that you have in local elections. Sure
2: because there's quite a lot of the times a lot of commentators will say that the local elections give a general flavor of how the public are feeling at the time there was um uh in the local elections back in 2014 i could be getting this completely wrong where ukip gained quite a lot of councillors and people kind of said that that was a right with you know it's not that they wanted to necessarily vote ukip as their mps but it's showing that is their preference for how they feel about certain issues that ukip represent for example um do you feel that we that we we kind of use local elections as a as a way to steer how things may go before the next general election?
0: Yeah, I think that there is the idea that it's still dependent on the party and, you know, I'll I'll vote for a councillor based on the party, which... So, in in that way, it it is an indicator of how um, the general election would go or a general election would go. But, you know, I think that's a shame, really, because... Local councillors, they really have um, the ability to campaign on local issues and um, they're a person, you know. You could really vote that election dependent on that person Um, and it seems like a a sad opportunity to miss, to to not um, base it on their opinions
2: of local issues. But,
0: yeah, overall overall it it is a good indicator of um, general election trends.
2: So it's a much better idea to go to uh, who should I vote for on Democracy Club and find out exactly what each candidate is standing for. That's probably a smarter idea.
0: Exactly. Um, because we also have uh, for a lot of candidates, we have like a statement to voters. So it's like a space where they can say um, how they stand on local issues and. Um, so that's definitely how I'm going to be uh, basing my decision this May, is looking on that on our website and seeing what each um, individual candidate has said about my local issues. But that's just me, hey?
2: <laughs> Not at all biased, obviously. Um, yes. <laughs> that's great. So, but that's that's a space uh, specifically that they'll be making a statement. It's only on your site, and it wouldn't be anywhere else. Um, so they can kind of clearly say what they stand for in that. That's really that's a really good thing to have. I think definitely.
0: Yeah, I mean, some some candidates choose to put it on their local party um, website, but it's it's not consistent. So, um, yeah.
2: (laughs) And uh, lastly, uh, obviously, people should head to Democracy Club first. But um, apart from yourselves, what other online resources, apps or sites do you find most useful yourself in kind of getting clear information about politics and parliament and elections um, that you could recommend to the listeners?
0: Yeah so my um personal favorite um is a site called they work for you um so you type in your postcode and then you get your um mp and then it shows your their voting record because it's the fact that you know they work for you they should be accountable to you the constituent um so that i really like that website um And in terms of sort of politics in general, um, politics, um, explainers, um, there's a company called Simple Politics, which are quite good. Um, And then there's like Full Fact, um, which are kind of came about, you know, through the whole fake news epidemic, Um, Full Fact, yeah, we're trying to um, show um, credible answers to big questions. And then there's another, um, like, youth-based one called Voting Counts um, around political literacy for um, maybe, like, a younger audience. It's amazing. It's set up by um, a a university student um, who just thought there should be more information around elections. So I like that story. (laughs) Um, And in general, I mean, I think never underestimate the fact that as a citizen it's our it's our right to always want to speak to our um representatives and especially um councillors they're really quite responsive to emails so if you want to find out information you know go just email them basically um and they have surgeries and, and local meetings um that you're always free to go to
2: Thanks to Rose for chatting with me. Um, you can find the Democracy Club at democracyclub.org.uk with links to Where Do I Vote and Who Do I Vote For on their front page. They're also on Twitter at Demo Club. Despite that name, don't send them like any original music you record in your room on a Yamaha and a xylophone. They will get sad. Um, all other recommendations Rose mentioned, many of which, like Simple Politics or Full Fact, have already had on the show, um, but all the others will be on the Park bro Road Twitter and Facebook pages over the next week as well. And the website, at some point... It, I don't know, before the end of time. Who knows when it shall appear? Um, next week, I've hopefully got a fun interview lined up, but there is a chance it won't happen. Boo! And this is the problem with the interviews. It's good to have lots in the bank, which I, I don't even have a bank. I think I got rejected for an account. So if you've got somebody you'd like me to interview or a subject you'd like me to interview someone about, please do drop me a line at ParPolBrow on Twitter the ParPolBrow Facebook group or broadcast at gmail.com. Or spend an inordinate amount of money uh, writing a message to me in skywriting above the area that I live in, only to realise that because uh, it's Britain and it's the springtime, it's too cloudy for me to notice any of that shit. It's probably just much better to email. Brexit for now. Brexit for now. Big Brexit news. The Lords continue to pull a Darth Vader by removing their gasping villain mask to show everyone that actually they don't mind taking down the Emperor as they have voted to give Parliament a say over the outcome of Brexit talks. Conservative peer and Californian raisin number three, Lord Hailsham, said Parliament, not ministers, must determine the future of our country. Because what better to determine the future of our country than a 300-year-old establishment? But their amendment does mean that there has to now be a meaningful vote over the EU withdrawal bill, which likely reduces any possibility of a no deal, and could possibly also mean the UK stays in the EU indefinitely. You know, like one of Theresa May's immigration detainees. Oh, the sweet, sweet karma. Considering how panicked Brexit ministers are about this new amendment, there is every chance they'll change it. So a meaningful vote on the EU withdrawal bill will just mean that there isn't a vote at all. But hey, they definitely thought about having one, you know, meaningfully. The Cabinet are having a Brexit Crunch meeting this week, which sounds a lot like a really disappointing cereal. hmm Brexit Crunch. A tasty bowl of completely unprepared ingredients that look good on the box, but when served are hugely lacking in everything. The meeting is to discuss May's plan of a customs partnership, which would mean the UK collects EU tariffs as trade comes into the UK, and then refunds suppliers if their products stay here. The funny thing about this plan is that no one likes it at all, apart from Theresa May. It's stupidly complicated, has been left too late to arrange and sort out, and for the Brexiteers, it worries them that it wouldn't be sorted out in time, and that we'd have to stay in the customs union instead. Which, when you put it like that, should make Remainers prefer it somewhat. The preferred Brexiteer option instead is the Maxfac, which sounds like a type of makeup. Try Maxfac, a makeup so powerful it makes your shit show look confident. That would use trusted trader schemes and undeveloped technology to reduce border issues. And the best bit about that description? The undeveloped technology. Is that the same undeveloped technology they'll use for the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland? Ah, brilliant. Well, we'll all just sit here and twiddle our thumbs until Elon Musk or Tony Stark, or whichever of those, is more likely to invent a as-yet-non-existent magic customs-checking tree does. You do have to give some credit to Brexiteers for being so creative. I mean, no wonder so many of them are the same ministers who support cutting funding for arts when their brains are a constant free kaleidoscope of imaginative bullshit. I might try that with getting a loan. Hi, I'd like a load of money. What's it for? Oh, an as-yet unthought-of idea, but damn, when I get it, it'll be brilliant. Sentient fog cloud David Davis has threatened to resign if Britain does say in the customs union, which once again proves he has no idea how to negotiate, as that's not a bargaining threat and more another glowing possible positive. Meanwhile, the EU has stated that Britain needs to have an agreement on the key points of the Irish border by June. And those key points are mainly, will there be one because there shouldn't be and when the fuck will you decide? Or should we just put a border in the sea and then everyone doing trading will have to laminate all their documents and get one of those funny duck buses that can drive and float? Of course, what the EU don't realise is that the government have a solution, but it is as yet undeveloped. The European Commissioner said that it's worried about the UK government's incompetent lack of preparations for trade deals after Brexit and pointed mainly at disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox for failing to grasp basic concepts, something that he won't understand even if they say it to him slowly. Fox still insists that all trade deals are, as he said, preserved in time for exit day, like he's popped them in carbonite and will lovingly embrace them when they stumble out blinded with no idea where they are and having to try and negotiate with some sort of crime lord slug monster. And ultimately, Britain has one month to fix the island problem and now even less time to fix everything else unless, of course, the MPs completely derail it anyway with their meaningful vote. But hey, it's cool. I'm sure someone will pop along with an as-yet-undeveloped idea and we'll all be fine. Any minute now, guys. Any minute now. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Uh, thank you again for listening. And don't forget to donate to the Patreon or Kofi and review the show at iTunes, Stitcher, your favourite toilet wall, or Underside of a Cow. Um, and if you do want to get in touch about absolutely anything politics, comedy, or well, bins wise, then please do drop me a line at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com or the Parperal Broad Twitter or Facebook. Big thanks to Acast for cradling the show like the noisy baby it is, and to my brother, The Last Skeptic, for all the music sounds. And this show will be back to its normal length and hopefully my normal voice, next week, when I'll be commenting on Sajid Javid's awful plan to help the Windrush Generation families by giving them an all-expenses-paid trip to the Caribbean. Bye! This week's show was brought to you by Amber Rudd's Unawareness Course. Do you feel like you know too much? Rudd's Unawareness Course gives you six simple lessons in how to be clueless about everything, even things you've done yourself. Amber Rudd's unawareness course is only £6,000, but let's face it, it may as well be, as by the end of the course, you'll have forgotten just how much it costs and have lost all the paperwork.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.